um, last year, if you remember when I did my sermons, I'd always start with uh, three things that I was challenging you to do. Can you remember that? Meet a need, tell your story, and listen to other people's stories and invite them to something. Whether it's invite them to home, invite them to church, invite them somewhere. This year, as I was uh, sort of just thinking about, what am I going to do at the front of all my sermons? And I thought, I don't know whether everybody knows what the church statement of beliefs are. I don't know if you've read that. I don't know whether before you came, you go and have a look or whether it's something you did 20 years ago and you're going, oh, yeah, I'm okay. Um, So I thought I'd just do one this morning that fits a little bit with my sermon. And that's this. So this is one of our statements of belief. We believe that our eternal destination of either heaven or hell is determined by our response to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's pretty out there. Not, not, not really that PC nowadays, is it? It's quite, it's possibly saying that we believe that Jesus is the only way, which we do. <laughs> um, and, and then to have something about uh, heaven and hell in there, uh, I don't know, I grew up uh, in church where, you know, we got a, we got a lot of sermons around heaven and hell. And, and I, I can remember even as about, uh, I think I was 10 years old, I was convinced that Jesus was coming back and that I wouldn't get, uh, you know, in the next five years. I was, and, and I was one of those kids that saw Thief in the Night. Anybody remember Thief in the Night? That scared the living daylights out of you, didn't it? Um, and so your, your eternity destination was really, really sharp on your thinking. Um, the fascinating thing is Jesus actually spoke a lot about hell. In fact, I think Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else when you go through it. Um, and we don't... We don't want to scare people, but I think sometimes in our own uh, trying to make it nice for everybody, we, we leave out some of the, the truths. You know, uh, the eternal destination of people is something that, that is important. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 25. I just thought I'd read this. Uh, you might have had it in your reading lately, but Matthew 25 verse 31. Let me read it to you. When the Son of Man comes in, in His glory... And all the angels with him, so this is Jesus talking, he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from creation of the world, from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, uh, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, cursed ones, into eternal fire, prepared for his devil, for the devil and his demons. It's pretty heavy duty. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into, my, into your home. 
I was naked and you didn't even give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And they, they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. I've been thinking lots about eternity, eternal. And we're very much, uh, we're very much short-sighted, I think. We like the tangible. We like what we can measure and what we can see. And the eternal is, is huge. It's a hard thing to sort of comprehend eternal, forever. It's like when you lay down on the trampoline, if you all remember this, and you look up into the stars at night and go, where does it end? And you try and work out, where does it end? And you go, it can't end. It must go on and on and on, eternal. It's, it's bigger than our, our little brains uh, can comprehend, isn't it? Eternal. So let me pray. Father, I pray this morning you'd speak to our hearts, our minds. Uh, Lord, we want to hear from you. We don't want to just hear my words. I want you to hear, hear your words this morning, Father. Lord, I pray that you would encourage, you would challenge, and uh, Lord, you would lift the burden, Father, for people. Lord, I pray you'd give us new perspectives. Lord, we lay aside all what's happened this week or this month or what's happening in our life. And right now we just say, Father, speak to our hearts and our minds. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There's another um, uh, scripture where uh, Jesus was, I suppose, used quite graphic language about the severity of hell. In Mark 9, 43, he says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Like, this is out there. You know, he's trying to say, man, this is really important. And it's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go to hell. <laughs> when the Where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter the life crippling than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to, ha to enter the kingdom of God with one eye <laughs> than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Like it's pretty, pretty graphic stuff. You came this morning to church to be encouraged and here we are. Oh man, this is encouraging. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> It's, in, it's, it's, it's there, right there. You know, there's, Jesus told the story of Lazarus. Uh, to, to give you, an, uh, a, 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 I suppose, a perspective that it was eternal. Once, the, once you die, the decision, you can't change over. You can't change side. And Jesus gave a lot of um, warning about the reality of hell. And, you know, the challenge for us is if we believe that there is a heaven and a hell, then the way we share the gospel becomes more important to us. Uh, I was telling the uh, youth leaders the other day about the illustration. I think, I think my dad talked to me about it and made me think about it. Uh, uh, and it was along the lines of, if I knew, just imagine, okay, this is not true. Okay, this is just me. Just If I knew that there was a bomb in here, okay, I know there's a bomb in here. And I come to you and I say, you got to get out. There's a bomb in here, and it's going to go off at 11 o'clock. And you go, yeah, right. We don't have bombs in New Zealand. People don't do that. It's not going to happen. Why don't you just disarm it? Why don't you do something about it? Well, I don't know where, where it is, but I know there is one. And you go, no, I don't believe you. Don't be, don't be silly. To what extent 
Am I responsible to, to get you to get out of the building? How much responsibility do I have? Do I go, well, I've told you. It's up to you then, mate. I'm out of here. You know? Or do I, do I pick you up, if I can, uh, and carry you out? You know, even if you're kicking and screaming, going, you've got to get out of here. You've got to get out of here. To what is my responsibility? And, you know, one of the hard things for me is uh, as a pastor, I do funeral, have to take funerals. And I can tell you there is a huge difference for me in taking a funeral when I know someone has given their heart to Jesus. But when they haven't, it is, it is hard. It is really hard because I want to say the nice things to the family. Oh, you'll be able to see them again. But I don't know if you will. Well, depends where you go. You know? It, 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 is, it is life and death. It's eternal. Knowing Jesus is so important. Uh, it's, you know, it's up to us whether we choose his gift of salvation or reject it. And if we do, we face the consequence of it. Now, I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm going to just say, look, that's a reality of life. And sometimes we've got to keep remembering, hey, what's the main thing? The, what's the main thing in the life? Well, the main thing I've always said is two things. One, the main thing is my relationship with God. That's right. And the, main, the second main thing is people. The rest doesn't exist after you know, a hundred years from now, we will all not be here unless they get some scientific breakthrough, but I just, I don't think so. hundred years from now, and we'll all be looking at eternity. And what will be important, the relationships we got with people, the people that we, we, we've told about Jesus, I mean, it'll be the most exciting thing in our lives will be that we see people. And what's going to be fun is you're going to see people that are saved because you saved this person and you did this and you gave some money here and this person's going, because of that, because those people overseas or something like that, I'm here, I'm saved. You have a part of that. That's exciting. I mean, I think it's fortunate that I don't think in heaven we'll have regret because I think that would be something that would be hard to bear. The regret of the opportunities we missed and the people we, we didn't, you know, and I, I don't know if you ever remember um, Schindler's List. Uh, when, you know, the guy just saying, man, I could have given my watch, I could have had another person. And it, and it, and it was quite, I can remember watching it thinking, yeah, that, how do I feel about giving my life to Jesus? Well, giving my life for Jesus. So this morning, my sermon is the church, rescue boat or cruise ship. The church, rescue boat or cruise ship. In a world filled with turmoil, disasters and pain, the church should be a safe haven, a place where people can find hope, comfort, and salvation. But too often, we, have, we see the church as a cruise ship, where people come to be entertained, pampered, and have a good time. The church is not meant to be a cruise ship, but a rescue boat, a vessel that goes out into the stormy seas to save those who are in danger and bring them back to safety. The church is like a rescue boat to bring people to safety, to help them find their way back to God. We are called to be workers in the Lord's harvest field, to go out into the world and bring people to Christ. We're called to be the good Samaritan who saw a man in need and went to his aid, pouring oil on his wounds and taking care of him. We're called to be his disciples who left everything behind to follow Jesus and spread the good news. The church is not meant to be a place where, where people can be entertained, but rather a place where people can be transformed. And I don't know if, uh, uh, if you realize it, but you and I have been given the same task as Paul. Recently, just in my readings, I'm reading Acts. 
And, and uh, I read Acts 9.15, and, and the context of this is that Paul has had that experience on the road to Damascus, and now he's blind, and he's sitting there, and he won't eat and drink, and he's waiting. And God goes to Ananias and says, I need you to go and talk to Paul. And Ananias is going, you what? I'm, oh, just where we weren't any closer. He's going, you what? What do you mean you, you want me to go to? That guy's been killing people. He's really against the gospel. And I always wonder how many other people did God go to before Ananias said yes. You know, but Ananias says yes. And then this is what God tells Ananias about Saul. But the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. Did you know that you and I have that same purpose? We've been called. You've been called. And what are you called for? To take the message to the Gentiles, so that's anyone who's not a Jew, to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. But it was the next verse that really sort of challenged my thinking, and it said this, Verse 16, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Oh, that's, um, um, that wasn't in the, in, the, in the agenda. You know, in some ways for us, we've always talked about uh, get saved and it'll be good for your life. You know, a good thing for your life. It'll, you'll live better. And, and all, I do believe that. And the Bible actually does say that. But if that's the only purpose, we miss it. I don't know if you ever remember Ray Comfort. Uh, how many people remember Ray Comfort? He used to be pretty in your face with his gospel, but I remember him talking about how salvation was like a parachute. And he would talk about a, a flight, say, from you know, Auckland to Los Angeles. And, and imagine that they come along saying, here you go, you need a parachute. You need a parachute. It'll make your journey more comfortable. So these guys would put the parachute on, and it was a big bulky thing, and they'd be sitting in their seat. They're in economy. They didn't get first class. And they're sitting there, and they're all hunched over. And they're thinking, well, I've got this parachute on, but it's definitely not making my journey a little bit more comfortable. In fact, it's making it more uncomfortable. And then they look around, and everybody else is sitting back, having their little drinks and, and, and uh, relaxing on the flight. And they've got this, and they're thinking, but, but you told me that if I put the parachute on, that it'll make my life more comfortable and good. And that's not happening at all. And in the end, they get frustrated and they take the parachute off and go, that didn't make my life more comfortable. But that wasn't the purpose of the parachute. The parachute was there to save them because at 32,000 feet at some stage, the plane was going to crash and they needed to jump out. Like really, really bad analogy, really. But, but can you see the picture? You know, it was about the parachute's purpose was for saving them if they had to jump. But, but we think sometimes, oh, Christianity is all about making my life more comfortable. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is. Our purpose is to take the message of Jesus to the world. And there is a price to pay for it. There is a cost for it. The, the purpose of the church is to take the gospel to the world. So I have a friend um, whose son was into kayak fishing. So not, not related to our, our, our number one kayak fisher in the front seat here. Um, but he was, uh, his son was kayak fishing off the Manitar Strait. And um, he's, he's about three or four k's out. Uh, and uh, his dad had always made sure that he took a radio and a flare with him when he went out there. And so he's out there um, 
kayak fishing and his kayak starts to take on water. And it's about six o'clock in the evening, summer evening, but six o'clock in the evening, and he thinks, oh no, my kite's taking on water. He didn't have a life jacket, but he had a wetsuit on. And so he's thinking, what do I do? What do I do? And thought, he looked and thought, I'm pretty young. Uh, I can swim back. So he grabbed the flare and he grabbed the radio, hooked that, that on, and he started to swim. The kayak sunk. He started to swim for the shore. And he began to realize, I'm not going to make it. I'm not making any headway. I'm not getting there. So he radioed on his radio emergency. Uh, I think he got the Makatu um, uh, Coast Guard. Talked to a lady there. The lady said, okay, look, I'm going to send out a boat from Fokatani. I'm going to send out a boat from Makatu. I'm going to put a helicopter up. And when you, when you hear that helicopter, you shoot your flare into the air and we'll find you. And so he's out there, you know, just treading water. Uh, it's starting to get dusk and dark. And uh, he hears the helicopter. He shoots the flare. The helicopter comes and sits, sits over him. One of the boats got to him rescued him, took him in, and, and, you know, he saved. And they said to him, mate, if you didn't have a flare, we would not have found you. We would not have found you out here. And quite, quite out there. And um, so, so my friend, he, um, he was quite, you know, he was quite, um, quite gr- full of gratitude for, you know, the, the Coast Guard saving his, his son. And so a couple of weeks later, they, uh, they went down to the Makatu Coast Guard. They took them some beers and they just said, hey, look, we just really want to thank you. You know, this is, this is huge. It, it made a big difference. And uh, thank you and a few tears and, and that sort of thing. And, and in his conversation with them, he said to them, so um, do, do, you, do you get many people come back and say thank you? And, he said, and the guy said, actually, no, not, not, not many. They thank us there. But hardly anybody comes back and says, hey, thank you, this, this, this affected my life. Um, the result of it was he thought, I'm going to join the Coast Guard. I'm going to go help in the Coast Guard because this is, this is about saving lives. This is, this is worth every, every part. And so became part of the Coast Guard. Why? Because he'd seen how much it had changed and how much value it was in, in saving a life. And, and just as a side... Um, I really feel just to encourage you, and I felt it when I was in Tauranga, and it came back again. I don't have it in my notes, but if you, if you know the person who had a real big part in seeing you get saved, why don't you take a bit of time, maybe this afternoon, and just send them a text or a message saying, and, you know, it could have been 20 years ago, it could have been 30 years, it could have been 60 years ago. Hey, thank you for sharing the gospel with that. That's, that I'm, I'm saved because of it. Um, so the result was that he went out to, to save people. That's what he, he's doing. And, uh, you know, I want to encourage you that the church is here as a rescue boat. It's not, it's not here as a cruise ship. And, and, and your thinking around that changes the, the way you look at it. It changes how you see it. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> the anointed, the woman in uh, Luke seven thirty six that came and anointed Jesus' feet in front of all the Pharisees, you know, and they said, man, why doesn't Jesus say something to that woman? She shouldn't be doing that to him. And Jesus asked the question, the person who's forgiven much sin, you know, who's going to love the most, the one who's forgiven a little or the one who's forgiven much? In a sense, I actually think we're all the same. 
But how much are we grateful for God for the salvation? How much are we grateful for salvation? And when we become grateful for it, we also then become very challenged about how much do I want to see someone else get saved? What is the value of it? <clears throat> you know, on a rescue boat, everybody has a job. There's no, no being on there just for the trip. You, you've got to do, you've got to do some, some work. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been on the YHAM, uh, the YWAM Koha ship that's uh, parked out below there. Uh, it was fascinating going on there. They take us for a tour, and they take us down into the engine room. And what a horrible room that is. It's dark. It's hot. You know, it's, uh, it's full of horrible diesel smell. It's yucky. And, and there's three young people, and their job for the boat was to look after the engine room. Make sure the engine goes. They didn't even get tapped. There wasn't even a window that they could look outside and see. It was a horrible thing. I thought, yeah, that's it. Sometimes in church, you feel like you're in the engine room. Man, she's hot and sweaty. And man, this is hard going. You're not really seeing what they're doing up above. You're not seeing, but the engine room's not there. Then there's no rescue going up on top. It's important. And I want to thank all the people in here that do, do stuff. And have done it for years, carried on doing it, and keep going. Look, it makes a difference. It makes a difference, and it's worth it for one. It's worth it for two. It's worth it for, for people getting saved. <laughs> Jesus said in nine, uh, Matthew 9.35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. You know, if you're on a cruise ship, I think you've lost, you've lost your compassion for people. The reason people go and volunteer for the Coast Guard is that they've kept their compassion for people. They value life. Now, they value uh, what I call natural life, but we value eternal life. We value every person. <laughs> when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. Doesn't that sound like today? People confused. People helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers to the field. And I don't know if you realize he then went on and, asked, and chose his 12 disciples. That was the next step. Uh, talking to my friend who's, who's in the Coast Guard, he talked about how... Uh, each week they go do training. And uh, each week their, their training is not to be entertained. Their training is so that they know how to save people. And they could, be, they could have been in the Coast Guard 20 years, but they're still going and learning how to save people. And uh, he says it's quite, quite funny sometimes because, you know, they'll have a whole lot of them and they'll go out and do an exercise in their boat. And uh, without knowing, I think the captain knows, but everywhere else no one knows that one person has been chosen and they just, at some stage, when no one, everyone's not looking, they just fall off the boat. They just fall off. And then suddenly it's how long before they realize they've lost one of their crew members? How long does it take? You know, and then suddenly, as soon as someone realizes, the alarm's raised. And, and what, what part of the job is, is to find where that person is. And as soon as they can see that person, you know, they stop, they see that person. One person's job all the time is to keep an eye on that person. So they have to move around all their jobs because they, they may have another job on the boat. 
But the person who is spotted where they are, there they are, they are not allowed to take their eyes off them. Because if you take your eyes off them, suddenly they disappear and they're gone. So their whole thing on the boat is to, is to just keep their eyes on them. What an amazing thing. And they go back and they rescue that person because they don't want to lose anybody overboard. <laughs> they rescue. Our purpose is to win people. The purpose of the church is to win people. And, and uh, you know, look, I don't think it's as difficult as sometimes we think. Yep, there's little things, there's little seeds. You just got to do what your Holy Spirit prompts you to do. But I've got three things, three easy steps. Are you ready? There's going to be a test at the end, so get you ready. Three easy steps. First one, pray for opportunities. Do you know what happens when you start praying for opportunities? You actually start looking for opportunities. Did you know that there's an opportunity all the time? The question is, am I going to look for that opportunity? And when you start praying for them, then you start seeing them. Now, I've got a favorite little saying, which is the opportunity of a lifetime comes around once a week. The opportunity to share comes around every day. Now, it might not be that you share the whole gospel, but you give someone some love, you talk to them, you meet a need, you do something, the opportunity. But if you're, when you're praying for it, you know, if you pray for it each morning, then, then you're ready for the day because, you know, God's going to bring somebody along. Somebody this week, somebody. And, and look, what's going to happen to all you this week is you're going to be going along doing your own thing and then suddenly you're going to meet someone and the Holy Spirit's going to say to you, this is one of those opportunities. And you'll get an opportunity. Now, I never regret that I miss an opportunity because I go, well, I, I, I'll just remember next time I'll take the opportunity. And look, it's not about the result. It's that you take the opportunity. So pray for the opportunities. Be there for people. Just talk to them. Listen to them. It's all people need. It's part of it. I don't think we have to do much more than talk to them and listen to them. And I'm in, you know, you've heard me rave on about being eyes. I'm just having great time with people. People are open as can be. Now, it is a little bit easy because they all go to me, what do you do? And I go, I'm a pastor. And they know that. And so they, they ask me questions. They want to know. But just talk to people. And then look for spiritual opportunities. So pray for opportunities. Be there for people. Talk to them. Listen to them. And look for opportunities. You know, Jesus was looking for opportunities. He said, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. The world is hurting. The people are open. And uh, let me read you this from uh, <laughs> William Booth, the uh, guy who did the salvation, founder of the Salvation Army. Salvation Army founder William Booth had a vision of a great stormy ocean in which the world's multitudes were drowning. In this vision, uh, in this vision, he saw a great rock representing the church. Many had climbed onto it, escaping the peril of the ocean. Some were at the water's edges, helping rescuing the drowning. A few were even diving back into the waters to save the drowning. But many on the rock had no concern for the drowning. Drowning. They were consumed in their various pursuits of pleasure. He commented on the incomprehensibility of these saved ones having no compassion for those who were drowning before their very eyes. He also commented on how some gazed towards the mainland where they believed their saviour would one day come to rescue them from the rock. When all the while their saviour was in the stormy ocean behind them calling to them to come and help him help the people. He said, look for yourselves. The surging sea of perishing souls rolls up to the very spot on which you stand. It's out there, isn't it? 
<laughs> you know, uh, the harvest is plentiful. And uh, I did a quick little bit of research on, on the results of what happened uh, after pandemics. And uh, there's, uh, there was two pandemics that came in. There was a plague of Siberian that happened um, mid-third century. And this panic, uh, pandemic was one of the deadliest in history, killing an estimated 5,000 people per day in Rome alone. During this time, many people turned to Christianity as a source of comfort. It's not someone ringing me while I'm, while I'm in church. Just to <coughs> It's my timer. My timer's there. So. Um, during this time, many people in Christianity uh, turned to Christianity as a source of comfort and hope. The church also gained a reputation for caring for the sick and dying, which further helped them spread the faith. And also the Black Plague that was in the 14th century um, caused many people to turn to Christ. And as yet, they do feel that the people are open after our COVID-19. That people are open and that perhaps we've got a window of two to three years where people are going to be more open than they've ever been to the gospel. The harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. Will you do it? Will you get there? Will you do something to help the boat go faster? I don't remember uh, in the uh, America's Cup one time, they were talking about, you know, doing anything to make the boat go faster. And, and I go, can you help us to be a boat that rescues more people? What can you do? You've just got to have a go. Let me read you the, um, shall I read that story? Yeah, let me read you this. <clears throat> to be someone's hero. So this is, uh, this is summarized from one of Dave Mann's books. There is, the story is told of Reverend John Harper of Glasgow, Scotland. He pushed his way through towards the upper deck of a ship he was on, holding in his arms his only daughter, Nan, with his sister-in-law, Miss Jessie Leach, clinging to his coat. It was the Titanic. It wasn't a dream. The ship was really going to sink. And this is a true story. Get the woman and children and the unsaved into the lifeboats, he cried out. Along with 1,500 others, he was left with no light boat, lifeboat to die in the cold waters. Beneath the clear night sky could be heard the cries of teeming masses of dying people in the cold waters. He had been on his way to Chicago where he was to preach an extended series of revival sermons at the Moody Tabernacle. He would never preach from that pulpit again. With his last strength, and last breath, he began swimming to the dying souls, crying out to them to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He called to a young man clinging to a piece of timber. Man, are you saved? No, I'm not, replied the young Scotsman named uh, Aguilla Webb. Harper took off his life jacket and gave it to Webb. Here then, you need this more than me. Webb protested, but Harper replied, don't worry about me. I'm not going down. I'm going up. As they were pulled apart by the current, Harper called back to Webb, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. A few moments later, Harper and Webb came into contact again. Weakened by hypothermia and struggling to keep his head above water, Harper gasped yet again, are you saved now? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Of the more than 1,500 people who went into the cold waters that night, 
Only six were rescued from the waters by the lifeboats. The guy Webb was one of them. Four years later, at a reunion of Titanic survivors, he testified that he had been saved twice that night, once by lifeboats, uh, but the other time by John Harper. There alone in the night with two miles of water underneath me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. Why do I tell you the story? It's because the cold sea surrounds us too, and there are millions upon millions of perishing souls. This is a spiritual reality if our Bibles are true. It's not our physical lives that matter most, it's our eternal souls. But it seems to take extreme circumstances before many of us realize this. And just as John Harper became the man's hero, you could become someone's hero today. In fact, that is exactly what God has called you to be. While a great many of us would admit to being largely ineffective as witnessing for Jesus, it doesn't have to stay that way. This study and account exists to tell you that our churches can be mobilized. Christians can be equipped. And we can make, um, be made bold such that we would go and make a difference in the spiritual destinies of our fa- friends and our families. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each person here. And Lord, we are thankful that you've saved us. We thank you that we're rescued. Lord, I pray you'd help us to rescue the people around us. Help us, Lord. Lord, help us to rescue the friends, the family members, the workmates, the schoolmates, the people around us. Lord, help us to be a light that shines in the darkness. Lord, help us to be effective. And Lord, we pray for more workers. Lord, more workers. Lord, I pray that we can enthuse the people around us to make a difference. Help us, Lord. Lord, it's not about what we do. It's, it's just that we are available and we do what you want us to do. Whether it's little or whether it's big, whether it's small, whatever it is, Lord, I pray you'd help us. Help us to take the opportunities that come our way. Help us to be a light that shines in this area, Father. Lord, that people would see. They'd see our good works and they'd glorify you, Lord. They'd see what we do and, Lord, that we would get that opportunity to share you. Help us, we pray, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.